Psst. Hey, you. Want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of business operations one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Cafone, and today's guest is Mickey Pearson, Operations Manager at Plenty Search. Welcome, Mickey. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's so fun to be on this side of the podcast. (laughs) I know. We've got a a seasoned expert here, so I'm going to try and do my best to make you proud. But I'm super excited because we get to talk about all things operations, including your journey into operations and how that's manifested into a career uh, doing operations for recruiting, which is a lot of lovely layers to to dig into. But let's start out with your journey into it because everyone, everyone's journey looks different, including my own. So how did you get into operations? What was that path like for you? I had a very strange path, and I think maybe a lot of us who are in operations have found ourselves in this interesting role because of just random turns of fate. Mine is really unique. Um, I started my career in education, so my first passion was uh, working with young kids. I was a preschool teacher for many years and um, really got a lot of energy out of working with four-year-olds especially. They were smart enough to know a lot about the world, but not so curious that you, I couldn't answer any of their questions. So if you wanted a question about the planets, I could answer to the level of your understanding. And then they could <laughs> run off and play with some Play-Doh. And it was just, it was such a fun, energetic environment. I really got a lot out of it. And as I was um, getting my teaching license to move into elementary school education, my wife got pregnant and we decided, okay, well, I can either be an at-home parent and um, focus all this time with my kids, or I could get a job at a preschool and pay for your tuition with my uh, salary as a preschool teacher. We opted for the former, and I spent 10 years as an at-home parent, and uh, three kids later and a decade later, I made my way into the recruiting world um, through sort of a chance encounter with some uh, local people who run a recruiting firm. It always starts with a chance encounter, doesn't it? It, it always yes, begins. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, you know, that perfect setup too, because um, this recruiting firm, Samla, based here in Minnesota, and what they were really looking for is someone who could um, be curious, be um, interested in talking to random people about a lot and learning a lot about a, a wide variety of different things. And my start in with Samla was doing research, so finding candidates and also doing a, a lot of operations, even though we weren't calling it operations. So they needed some software help. I'm the guy who has always been a fan of computers. And so I poured some, in, you know, some of my abilities into that bucket and said, okay, well, we are currently using Microsoft. We can move to Google. We are currently using this applicant tracking system. Why don't we try this one? And, and trying to bring some creative solutions around the tech platform, never as part of my job description, but always as sort of that next level skill that I brought to the table. That grew and grew and grew. So as I continued my career in recruiting with Samala, I found myself doing a lot of different operations things. So auditing new systems, making sure that all of our internal processes are right, uh, writing um, process docs and writing um, employee manuals and designing the website and answering in-mails, all these different things that happen that no one else in the company really knew how to do well and really didn't want to do. So I was that person who took that on. In 2021, I fully became an operations person. Um, this is I had been doing a lot of it during COVID, and uh, we had a departure on the team. And at that point, we were, we were big enough to say, we need someone who can do this all the time, bring some you know 
focus on this particular task. And quite honestly, as much as I, um, you know, I was doing recruiting and as much as that was interesting, there was a part of me that just felt like there's, there's a piece of me who's not very good at this and I'm much better at the operations aspect. So spending a year doing, um, any number of tasks, like I just outlined, um, I, I got a lot of energy and I got a lot of excitement out of that. Um, and that's when plenty came into my world and I got recruited by a recruiting firm and I moved into plenty. Oh, the and, irony. Yes, so I know good. exactly. <laughs> and, and so now I've been with plenty for just under a year and doing a lot of operations for them as well, solely operations. And, um, while my job tasks from day to day are still just as varied, um, I do have other operations team members uh, that I get to work with, which is fantastic. And it brings me so much joy to be able to talk shop with other people in house and have them care about the same things I care about. Yeah, your your energy uh, is infectious when we get to talk about operations, which <laughs> I love. I feel like there is so much to unpack in how you got to where you are with operations because the through line through everything that you did from parenting to teaching to recruiting, those types of roles wear a lot of hats and spin a lot of plates at once. Can I ask how you think one informed the other informed the other? Like how did teaching then inform, I think you're like the most prepared parent having um, taught preschool. Like how did that inform parenthood for 10 years, three kids? And then how did that inform recruiting and talking to people? How did all that that domino effect happen? Absolutely. Well, I mean, part of it is just like inbound uh skills and and character traits. So I'm I'm perpetually curious. And I think that one of the things that makes me good at operations or teaching or parenting is just being open to new things. Um, your kids are always going to bring you new things. Your students are always going to bring you new things, whether they are four-year-olds or whether they are, you know, middle schoolers, they're going to tell you something new that you weren't expecting that particular day. So whether you have a finely crafted lesson plan or an awesome set of uh, emails to send out to all 200 candidates for this uh, particular role that you're working on in operations for recruiting, having that flexibility and having that curiosity to be able to solve a unique problem the minute it hits your plate is a key trait that I bring to the table. When it, you know, I think about education and especially in that preschool realm, there was so much happening at, at any given time and anything that you had, you know, finally planned out could get derailed so quickly um, <laughs> for any number of reasons, both fun and, and it could be derailed in a fun way where you're like, oh, I see your curiosity is bringing you this way. Let's let's chase that and let's you know read this book and let's bring the whole class along on this journey. And that flexibility is awesome. And um, I, I still do it today in operations when someone comes to me and says, have we thought about doing it this way? The answer is always, well, I don't know if we have, but let's figure it out together. And maybe it works and maybe it doesn't, but it, it will always inform the way that we're going to move our processes forward um, and not closing ourselves off to the way that we've always done things. Um, that makes you that makes you a better operations person, I think. Definitely. And it's interesting. I have a lot of friends who are educators for children as well as adults. And I think operations is almost like a given part of the job. You have to be able to teach and be engaging and work with kids of all different personalities or students of all different personalities. And then you just have to do all the administrative side of it too. So it must have been interesting going from that world into recruiting, which I feel like is much more wild, wild west. Like I feel like that is like I've done a tiny, tiny bit, and that just, it seems like a never-ending search that I guess a question I have is, do you ever feel like satisfied in that process? Because it feels like once one role is found, then you have to find another one and another one. It's almost like whack-a-mole a little bit. 
I mean, it really can be. And I will tell you that like the thing that I didn't know much about recruiting before I got into it. And it was, again, that curiosity and that enthusiasm for trying new things that may help me say yes to this particular opportunity when it came up. But, you know, thinking about that whack-a-mole aspect of things, yes, it, that is that is a big part of it. And I think a recruiter is more like a salesperson than I had initially in, anticipated back when I joined that um, world. And it, because you have to deal with no all day long. No, 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 no. It's no from the candidates who won't even like answer your email or answer your call. It's no from the clients who don't want to build a new relationship. It's it's no from the person who you got all the way to the finish line and that offers in their hand and they and you're counting on that and they say no. And having that personality that can be really resilient is a huge part of recruiting. Um, because yes, it's always changing and it's always variety. I think with operations, one of the things that drew me closer to that realm out of recruiting was the sense of at least there are controllable factors that I can help the people who are totally fine with that rejection. I can give them the tools to be better at it. I know a lot about the way they're doing their job, so I can use that to inform the the tools that I'm going to give them. But I'm also I'm one step removed from that rejection, and so I can be a little bit more versatile. I can be about a lot more optimistic because I know that the things I'm going to do are going to help my colleagues get their job done. Mm. What do you think that point was in recruiting that you essentially were like, I'm an operations nerd, please bring me back in, like, let's do this. Because I also had that moment too, where I, I was a creative technologist and I was doing a very cool job that I think people would have loved to have. And I just missed it. And I knew that that was sort of part of who I was. What was that moment for you? What did that, what did that feel like? I mean, it's rejection. It was the rejection. <laughs> I, I I had a very hard time with it because I mean, I, I I will I won't name the candidate's name and I won't name the client's name. But there was that there there was a very specific phone call I had. I was in New York City on a client uh, meeting and I had to step out to take a candidate call, and he rejected the offer that we had brought him to the finish line. And I knew there was a part of me that I, in the way that a good recruiter can, like help coach that person to yes, even though they're telling you no. There, there, something internally inside me was sort of like, I, I'm not that person that's going to tell you that you're making a bad decision in this moment because you're an adult, you are making this decision. And I've had similar experiences with clients kind of telling me no, when I know internally, like, okay, I think that you're making a bad decision, but who am I to tell you that you're wrong? I, that rejection, that rejection cycle really got to me, but in operations that never got to me. And I knew that those tasks were always going to be sitting undone or done half done and if I could focus my energies towards that, I could get a lot more career satisfaction and job satisfaction and and still continue to work with the people that I loved and and wanted to, you know, rise the tides for everyone. But I didn't have to deal with the one on one rejection and that that kind of it, it gets to you mentally, I think, if you're not suited for recruiting. So it's a really I think it's a very good point, because if I think back to that change and shift for me. I had just so much more tolerance for when there were problems operationally than there was in the previous role I was doing. If there was something that came up or a twist or a turn, I would get totally bent out of sorts. But in operations, things could be literally on fire and I would be figuring it out because I just I am passionate and I love doing it. It's it's interesting. That's a good a good sign for listeners to think about is, you know, what are the things that you tolerate because you love it even when it sucks? And then maybe that's the thing to point your energy towards. And and you're not, it's not to say that operations doesn't come with rejection. Like I have rolled out software systems that I thought this is going to be the solution to all our problems. And if no one does it, well then like all that work was for basically nothing, but it did teach me a lot about 
how to do my operations job better in a different way where it's like, okay, well, meet my audience where they're at, as opposed to saying, well, this works for me. It's only 17 clicks and all you have to do is just, you know, I'm fine with that. (laughs) But um, that is that is a particular operations nerd person to say like, oh, yeah, it's super simple. But is it truly simple or not? And that rejection, I'm okay with internalizing and learning about catering to my audience in a little bit better way. Well, let's fast forward to today, operations manager, learning and building operations for recruiting, which is fantastic. So you've done the thing and now you can help others do the thing better. What does a day in the life look like as an operations manager? Sure. So, you know, Plenty is very unique um, in the sense that we're extremely data driven. um, And that has helped me as an operations manager. I'm making sure that, you know, like any good operations person, all our tools are firing all cylinders. But what that means from a practical standpoint is we have a team of researchers who is constantly filling the pipeline full of candidates for our recruiters to go out and talk to and then eventually deliver to our clients. So where Plenty differs from other recruiting firms is we have um, much smaller load of roles that we're working on at any given time, where a normal recruiter might be working on 15 roles. Our recruiters are really only working on four to five. But what that means is our operations team has to fire on all cylinders constantly to make sure that those five roles are being delivered at 100% all the time. So I am sending emails uh, to 230 different candidates at any given time. Just uh, I'm managing the sequences, making sure that the um, email content is all you know, not only copy edited and proofread, but also sending on behalf of the right person. I'm looking at metrics. So we, uh, as I said, we're very data driven, looking at what is our response rate? How can we tweak this particular response rate to make sure that we're getting, you know, can we get one or 2% more people to respond to this email? If we can't, what are other ways that we can engage with them? So looking at tools outside of LinkedIn to say, you know, this is this is what a good candidate looks like. How can we make sure that our researchers are finding them? How can we make sure our recruiters are talking to them? And how can we make sure that the once our recruiters are actually delivering candidates to our clients, are our clients feeling happy? Are they feeling like they're that this is a great process for them and they feel engaged and feel taken care of? So bringing that white glove approach to any of the client interaction is is it's critical for the operations team to get that dialed in so our partners and principals can hop into a meeting and know everything is the table is set for the for their success. You're trying to always balance the people side, the process side, the technology side, the data side, so that it all evenly balances out into the right kinds of deliverables. Uh, I'm going to pause because you say data-driven, and if anybody knows me, my family, my friends, my clients, they always make fun of me because I'm like, let's be more data-driven. And it's important, I think, for the audience who maybe don't really know what that means to get an understanding of what we're saying when we say data-driven. So I guess to backtrack, everything, our devices, our software are connecting, uh, collecting data. And it's up to us to figure out how to use that data and hone that data to get insights. Now, within the recruiting, recruiting realm, what kind of data are you gathering and how do you use that data to inform decisions? Sure. So um, the metrics that are really important to us is recruiting. And I think you will find this in a lot of recruiting firms. The, the, the big metric that a lot of us measure for success, what we call success is time to fill so or days to fill. How long did it take us to, from the time we started this engagement with the client to actually fill that role? And I would say the industry average tends to be around 120 days for our particular executive search world. 
plenty were awesome. We're around 75 days to fill, um, which is fantastic. And but again, that's, you know, one of our calling cards is because we can be a white glove and because we can focus a lot of energy, we can get that time to fill down a lot. So that's that's like the biggest metric. So what are the different things that influence time to fill for us? Well, if we're starting from the beginning of the engagement, we're looking at how many in those first 10 days of a an engagement, what are the different ways that we can set our recruiter or our researchers up for success? So how long did it take you, researcher, to find the person that eventually filled this role? Um, it's a new metric that we started to look at because we're very curious, like what are the ways that we can bring that time to fill down even lower? So from the research side, if you can find that person on the day the search starts, that's awesome. And our currently our record for finding a person is zero. On the day the search launched, our recruiters or our researchers have found the right person. On from there, we're looking for things like the days to actually screen that candidate. Did they engage with our messaging? If they did, awesome. How long did it take the recruiter to present them to our client? How long did it take the client? All of those little date stamps tell us what pieces can we work on so we can break down and look at, all right, recruiters, most of your candidates are sitting in this limbo with our clients. What are the ways that you as a person can coach our clients to get their interview process once you've introduced them, get their interview process going faster? And so we do a lot of work with that and making sure that our our clients know this is our expectation and we want to help you be successful in recruiting that person. That's one piece of data is just all those timestamps. Um, uh, yeah, it's a lot and, and play, and, and we're always finding new things that we can start to focus on. So, um, that's one of the things that it's great to have an operations team because we can say, oh, here's a particularly interesting metric. Will this actually make sense for us to focus on? Um, and so we dig into it a little bit. We talk to each other. We talk to some of the recruiters. Does this make sense? Would this be helpful to you? And if yes, then we keep going down that road. This actually springboards into the trifecta. So maybe we just go there now. So trifecta, the simplest way I could say operations, people, process, technology, side of data, um, technology. Let's let's talk technology within the recruiting world and how you're getting this data. So what platforms and what tools are you using to, to get the information that you need to start to run those analytics, make those decisions? Absolutely. So, I mean... Table stakes is LinkedIn. We everybody uses LinkedIn. Don't let anyone tell you that LinkedIn isn't like the the uh, you know eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. But once but once we find those people on LinkedIn, we are not really doing a lot to interact with them on that platform. We're pulling them into a system um, called Gem, and Gem is um, used a lot by internal recruiters, not as much by uh, third party recruiters like us. But we've definitely kind of shoehorned a lot of functionality into it to make it work for us, which is, I think, a hallmark of any good operations team. Like, okay, I see that these there are these things that we can kind of twist and turn to make it work for our ends. Um, what GEM is, is basically we dump all of our candidates into there. Our research team is able to submit them to our, our uh, recruiters and say, does this look good? Does this person look good? Um, Gem is able to track all of those people all the way through the entire process of hiring for us, sort of like an applicant tracking system, like a lever or a greenhouse, but a little bit different because it's doing all the outreach at the front end. Um, and that's where a lot of the data that we're looking for comes from too. So looking at response rates, looking at which person clicked on which email, which link did they click on? How does this influence outreach going forward? So we pull those uh, pieces out and we look at it after the engagement is completely done and we say, okay, what could we have done better in this? What what email sequence was particularly successful? Um, but GEM is really the heart and soul of our outreach. 
once it's out of gem, we're a big Google workspace user. Um, we are huge into Google sheets and all of our, um, all of our client collaboration platform is currently done via Google sheets. I have an idea that, you know, we could transcend <laughs> that and, um, we're, we're getting there, but we're, we're also, um, when it comes to tech solutions, I will say that we are not quick to jump into something unless it really feels like it's something that's going to truly move the needle. So we will audit ATSs all the time and we'll audit things like Coda and Monday.com and click up and look at them and think really long and hard before we say, yes, this is something we want the entire company to say yes to. But there are a lot of other tools too. You know, we are big on Crunchbase for doing research. We're big on, um, you know, I, I use graphic design programs and Canva a ton um, in operations. So there, there's a lot of that type of stuff. Well, but I would say, you know, Gem and Google Workspace are the two key things for us. It seems like for most businesses, you have those anchor platforms that are the foundation of how you run as a business. And so when you're talking about finding other tools, it's so important that if you find something to replace it, you've done all the due diligence to find the right platform with the right data access and permissions and da 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 da, da and pricing, of course. Um, but I, I've work with a lot of clients, it's a very similar thing. And Google Workspace, man, Google Sheets, I feel like the world is run on Google Sheets because everybody everybody dips into that or, or Excel, the original. But I would love to dip into the people side now because you said something interesting earlier when we were talking about the process around you know making data-driven decisions. And you said that the data side of th things allows you to see how the people behavior needs to shift within your clients. And that's a very interesting concept, I think, maybe for some folks, which is I've done recruiting and there is a certain pacing that you want to hit when you are reaching out to candidates to show interest and vice versa for you to see that candidates have interest in you. Can you go into that a little bit more on the client side of recruiting? How do you use data to coach your clients to guess like be better applicants, <laughs> to be a better companies, to, to get the right kinds of talent in? Sure. Well, you know, I can say that, um, you know, early stage startups that we work with, you know, these, these leaders, these founders that are choosing to work with us, they have a ton on their plates. I mean, you know, as an operator, like it's, it's, there are so many different things that you have to consider at any given time. And because your company is so small, it's very easy to like, you know, have a very insular culture that you want to make sure that what you have built so far isn't lost. And because Plenty, like all of our partners, our former operators as well, I think they have a particularly attuned sense of what all of their, all our clients are going through at any given moment. So knowing that these key executive hires are going to really move the needle, there's a lot of buy-in and a lot of empathy and sympathy that kind of transverses that client relationship. So that, that to start with is fantastic for Plenty. But when we talk about what data influences those, we have a, a thing at Plenty where um, at our fourth meeting, we do a what we call like a partnership review. And we take a look at all the different people that have come through. We, we present stats like this is how many companies we've, we've looked at to find this one, you know, these three people that we've presented to you so far or these seven people. So we've looked at 800 companies. Of those 800 companies, we found 700 candidates. And of those 700, can you know, we show them that whole funnel and we open those books because it for them, it's important to see like we are working our tails off and we want to make this work for you. And this is what this work means. And sometimes that means creative solutions. So if we're saying we are not seeing great response rates, we can also say that's because most engineering roles have a very low response rate comparatively. Or we can say 
this is an abnormally low response rate. Are there ways that are there assets that you client can provide us to help boost these numbers? But having that data firsthand in those relationships can say, we want to work the, together to solve this talent problem that you have. And here are the numbers to back it up. Um, what, how can we work together to figure to solve this problem right now? Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high end and well crafted, which they absolutely are. Their Confidant notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested 100 pens to find the top pen. And after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig's Squire pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You got to give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to baronfig.com today, enter in the discount code SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Oh, I'm like so jealous that you're going to get to see all this for the first time because they're, they're, their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun, let us know how you use the tools, and let's get back to the show. Oh, I love that. All the solution levers that you can have, which is, all right, we're looking at what the data is showing us. Is the solution um, providing a visual? Is it providing more details? Is it salary? Is it renaming the title because it actually doesn't align with the job description? There are all these, I mean, that's just like a tiny scratch of the surface, but there's all those different things, which is why you want to work with people that have an expertise in it because it sort of skips over the really hard learning phase if you don't know kind of that world because you're not in it all day long, which gets to process for me because you you can over process things. And I would think that in recruiting, it's a fine balance because you have to have a process because you have to make sure that you're doing things in a similar fashion for all candidates, all clients. Um, but you also need to allow there to be variation. So what are some process tips that you have from the recruiting operations lens? You know, I think for us, what is has been really critical is is being able to have uh, just sort of a partner in that process to, to take a look at it. And, um, you know, when I was at Salmala, I was an ops team of one. And even I will say that having a robust ops team on our side at, at Plenty, it really helps to just say, like, here's how I'm thinking about it. Is this how you see it as well? And not have to have it be, I'm taking off my recruiter hat or I'm taking off my business leader hat. I, you know, it's, operations person to operations person, we can figure this process out together. So we know what, what things did I, did I miss? Did I completely blank on, oh, this particular stat means nothing once we've got it, you know, at 300 candidates versus three. Um, big process things for us though, too, are just like, we have very clear, consistent SLAs and we, ha we, as an ops team, we rely, I guess this is an, a platform that I didn't bring up earlier, but we rely really heavily on Asana because it helps keep us as the three of us very, very organized. We know here are all the 20 different touch points that we need to have between the time the contract is signed with a new client all the way to the day of the first meeting. And that's a lot of stuff. And if we don't have a very clear, easy way to replicate that every single time, 
we're going to get lost in some somewhere. And if we don't have those responsibilities clearly laid out for somebody, um, it, it gets lost and we can't bring that high level, that high touch experience to our clients if we don't have that in the back end, just very, very, very consistent. So to touch on Asana, so for those who have never used Asana, it's a way to uh, track your tasks. It's called a task management platform, a system, whatever you may call it. A question for you is, I have worked with a lot of clients that they think the solution is the task management platform and then they get it and they're like, oh, it's not the, it's not that it's actually the people and how they use it. So how have you honed your use of Asana over time to hit the right touch points, but not over organize what the team is doing? I mean, that is a fantastic point. And I will, we had that exact experience. We, we started Asana thinking everyone in our company is going to need to have Asana and People got overwhelmed with notifications. They hated. They they would not check off tasks, and it became very clear to us, you know, about a month in. Okay, while the ops team loves this, and the ops team can keep this organized, our recruiters have a million different notifications coming at them across the spectrum. They're getting pinged by the clients on their phones, on WhatsApp, on LinkedIn. They're getting all the the candidates talking to them as well. We need to find a way to limit the amount of communication down to the absolute bare minimum that they need. Ops, we are we can take all the notifications, give them all to us, please. We'll take them on every platform. But we need, we really needed to dial back our expectations of Asana to understand that not everyone on the team needs this, not everyone on the team wants it. So how do we continue to leverage this tool just so that we can stay productive? And that's really what we've done. So it's while our research team and our recruiters technically are in Asana from time to time, it's far more useful for us as an ops team to just have it be a lot more focused on the tasks at hand for us. We can ping the the people who have a task due, but let's let's keep that on us to let them know that what's due. That makes sense. I I have a pro tip which I found when you roll out any platform, especially when it's task oriented, the rollout phase is is a beta test. It's a prototype. It's never a final solution because ultimately whatever you roll out with is not going to stick. <laughs> I just have learned that over time. <laughs> Right, like it's it varies. It's very rare that the first version of any process actually stays. It usually gets cut down, and and it should. Right, that means that the team is actually adapting it to what it needs to be. Absolutely, and that's something we've adopted big time in operations uh, at Plenty. Is we we do after action reviews for kind of everything. Um, so you know we do them regularly for all of our client engagements. But we in in the last few months we've done after action reviews for here's this new process that we rolled out in November. Is it still working? And we try to get someone who is not involved with the development of that process to audit it and say, here are all the things that I looked at. Do they still make sense? Do you, If I were to jump in and try to do this task today, would the assets that we have on hand explain it well enough? And our, everything, every Asana task has been reiterated and iterated and edited to make sure that it's always efficient, not just it was efficient in November. Is it still efficient today? We don't rely on things being you know, kind of evergreen. What is it an after action review? Is that similar to like a retrospective or is that specific for process? I haven't heard that before. Yeah, so um it's something we've we started rolling out just for um uh after the after we've placed a candidate successfully, um we get together with the entire project team. So the recruiter, the the main researcher who worked on it, the partner and operations and we talk about here are the key data pieces like this is the interest rate, these were the number of candidates, here's the the person that we actually placed. And we look at all the different components that went into making that search successful or not. And what are the things that we could take away from that? 
we document that we log it we bring it we bring there have been a ton of things that we've taken right out of those meetings and implemented as a process to say we need to start doing this right away so that we are better at our next search or better at the searches that are going on we then started thinking well why limit it to just our placements why don't we think about it um especially because we're all ops nerds. Uh, why don't we start looking <laughs> at our own processes? So when we rolled out Donut, for example, I mean, it seems really s silly and simple, but Donut has been an awesome tool for our distributed team to socialize. It's basically a Slack I've plugin. I've never used Donut. It's great. It's a Slack plugin that randomly pairs you with a number mer another member of your team for a 15-minute meeting that is solely there for socialization. So because we're fully distributed, it's very hard for us to just say like, we're gonna carve out that water cooler time and make time for each other as human beings. Donut is an awesome tool for that. And one one of the things we wanted to figure out is like, okay, we've been doing it for a couple of months. Does it still make sense? We, we do this after action review and we look at, you know, okay, what did the team say about doing these donuts? Do they like them? Do they not like them? Are they just kind of tolerating them? We get the feedback. We write up a little report that says, here's our donut after action review. Great. Let's keep going. And we'll do those periodically, you know, maybe quarterly, maybe even like once a year, just to say like, does this still make sense? And that goes from everything from very serious processes down to, again, kind of like more nice to haves like donut. Yeah. That's, you know, whatever a team calls it, taking space to look back is sometimes very hard for teams because everybody's moving very quickly. The Just the technology environment, the work's space industries require you to move very fast. I found that to be incredibly impactful though. If you can take a pause and get thoughts and write them down, it's a, like some of the best use of time, just taking that pause to, to really talk about the impact of something. And if you should keep doing it and spending money on it and asking people to engage in it, it seems like such a simple thing, but it can be hard for people to do that. Um, and to also sunset things. Like you said, sometimes it's not going to work and it's okay and it, it can hurt and you know you might go and get a donut to have a catharsis after if something's not working, but that's an important piece too for sure. It's a really good point. Now, I want to get into the inside scoop, which is essentially telling folks what are the truth about operations and what they need to know. So first one is what do you think people get wrong? Across the board, what have you seen over and over again that people just get wrong about operations? Personally, I think not every operations person is type A. I am not a type A person. I am married to a type A person. My manager is a very type A person. But I think what I bring to the operations field is a sense of being a little bit more on. I, I joke that I'm like I'm the yin to the yang of my of my uh, my partner Amira. She's amazing at the operations, and she brings that type A, very organized, very you know, very focused. And it has definitely pushed me to level up my game, but not all of us are that way. But I think that my enthusiasm, my curiosity is another as important engine to operations, generally speaking. Um, so we're not all just, you know, cracking the whip to make sure that you're checking every box on the particular spreadsheet. Um, we, we, we can be a little bit more flexible than that sometimes. So I love that. Um, what did you think is the hardest part of operations? You know, what's the what's the part? There's a lot of joys, but what is that part that's like, oh man, I hate to do this thing, but I gotta do it? Well, the fact that there are many mundane tasks that if you don't have, if you haven't built that mental capacity to say, like, I know that this mundane task has to get done. So for example, sometimes there are a bunch of emails that you need to audit on individual LinkedIn profiles, and you need to be okay with the world in which 
I'm going to spend 30 minutes on this task. And I will say at Plenty, we really work hard to say, okay, you've done that 30 minute task once, but are there ways to then change it so no one has to do it? Or if, if you're doing it, um, maybe you can pass it off to someone else. So like figuring out a way to be creative about that solution, but sometimes the 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 most white glove thing that you can provide those clients is something that seems so mundane and so dumb. So you put on a good podcast or your favorite record and you just do the the mundane task and you have to be okay with it and swallow that. But then other times you get to work on extremely high level creative thinking things and being able to balance that and find that energy, um, I think is critical. That is, I just want to say plus one because um, data cleaning is literally the most mind-numbing thing that I do in my job, and it is one of the most important things that I do in my job. Same with migrating to a shared drive from separate drives and renaming files. It is so mundane and boring, but in doing that, you're fixing a problem once, so it's not a problem again, and it's worth the time even if it hurts, even if it's painful. I, I feel you on that. And it's, I, I think that people from the outside really think like, are you crazy? Like, why are you doing this? It's like, because I know on the other side of this, it's going to make things a lot better for everybody. But right now it's just going to suck for me. And that's why I've got a, you know, murder mystery podcast lined up for three seasons and I'm ready to roll. <laughs> yeah. Leave it better than you found it. I'm, I'm very into camping and you want to leave your campsite better than you found it. So you, you didn't leave that trash there, but you should pick it up and you should take it just so that it looks better for the next user. That's a big part of operations is leaving it better than you found it. Oh, that's a really good point. I gotta, I gotta put that on a pillow right myself. That's why I do these <laughs> things. Um, okay. So what do you think is the thing that brings you the most joy, the, the little kid happy energy with operations? I will say, you know, my time at Plenty, it's it's having those that uh, that operations team being able to talk to Amira and Kayla in my on my team and say, do you see this? Are you also geeking out about, you know, yesterday when uh, uh, I'm going to timestamp this a little bit, Coda dropped their uh, Coda AI preview video and I quickly jumped on Slack and I said, oh, my God, have you seen this? This is amazing. And I know that like, that's not for everyone. I know not everyone on my team will care about that. But for me in that moment, having someone to share that enthusiasm and that excitement was, was really fun. And I get so much joy out of that to say like, we can get, we can get creative in our way about operations. And I have these conversations with Amira all the time where it's the two of us right now, we are having the biggest geekiest uh, funnel data. Um, okay. Did you use a, you know, a V lookup or are you, you know, what what uh you know sheets formula are you using to do this and we get a lot out of that we know not everyone else will but that brings me a lot of energy that's little kid joy that i get and it seems really geeky but i'm okay with that i'm living vicariously just through you telling the story and i'm like oh, can i join can i can i please help them with you guys too uh, i joke but i feel like operations people are magnets to each other cuz it's it, it's hard to find people that like the things that we like sometimes. But I think the point of this podcast is actually, it's not that hard. There's like a ton of us that actually love it and we just need to find each other a little bit easier. Uh, okay, last question in the inside scoop, which is if someone wanted to get into transitions and having really had a journey to finding that for yourself, what would you recommend to help people get started? You know, for me, and it's especially in retrospect, for me, finding my way to recruiting and then especially operations, it was a lot of like understanding what my skills actually were versus what a resume might have told you. Being open to the idea that you have secondary and tertiary skills that no one else has, 
but you've never thought of them in a career context. So maybe you are a volunteer at a nonprofit and for that nonprofit, you got really good at recruiting other board members. Well, that's recruiting. Like you have that skill and no one told you that that was what you're, you were doing professionally, but you were. I think that was a, a big definitional thing for the way that my career has trans uh, has transpired. It's just the sense of, okay, you do have these skills. You can translate them into a job and that job will materialize around you as long as you are able to clearly communicate what you can do and be open and willing to bring your full self to the table. If I had limited myself to only being a teacher or only being a recruiter, I would have shut off a lot of pathways towards career satisfaction. Yeah, I I I feel like there's a narr- a miss uh, a wrong narrative that's told to us when we're kids that the, that the path is going to be linear and straight and actually everybody's path is so wonky and weird and awesome and the more variety and uh, things you can try the better you enjoy that your job if you follow that path like I I mean I've worked every job under the sun I've been a nanny I've worked in daycare I've been a dog walker I mean you name it I've done it and all of those things have helped inform what I'm doing today and the joy that I get out of my days today. So I I really hear you on that. And I hope others who are listening, if they feel like their path is a little all over the place, I think for a good decade, I was like, what am I doing? And uh, my husband was would say, it, it all is a part of a bigger picture. You can't see it right now, but it is. And I think I luckily trusted him and it did pan out, but uh, trust yourself too. At some point it will pan out, even if it seems all over the place. I agree. And I think, you know, the the job market now is so vastly different than what previous generations has ever experienced. You know, my wife has been in the same role for, you know, 17 years. And that is extremely uncommon. And where for our parents' generation, it was, yeah, of course, you just, you get a job and you stay in it for 25 years and you, you get the gold watch and or whatever. That is not the case. So you, you can't close yourself off in that same way. It's not uncommon to see two, three, four year stints at a lot of different things and a lot of different uh, jobs. And that's fine. That's normal. So embrace that normality and say, you know, I can be who I want to be professionally. That's how it goes. This has been so much fun. I wish we had more time, but it's on to the rapid fire questions. I'm really excited about these because I just keep throwing some new ones your way here. So, So let's just jump in. What is your favorite part of the day? I think my favorite part of the day is around lunchtime when I, uh, so I, because I'm an operations nerd, I'm trying to get better at my job. I've started doing a lot of task tracking. So my favorite time of the day, um, from a professional standpoint is at least to be able to see like time tracking. Oh, look at all this stuff that I've gotten done. And if I weren't focusing on that, it would be very easy to just say like, I don't know. I just, I kind of worked today, but it, it brings me a weird amount of joy that again, I'm not a type a person, but I get a weird amount of joy from seeing that, um, Another piece that gives me a lot of joy just personally is working out. So I'm a, I'm a big exercise fan and I, I really love my Peloton or my runs outside and that sort of thing and, and keeping that part of my, my day going. So it's an early morning workout. What are you currently obsessed with? What I'm currently obsessed with is um, it's Oscar season. I'm a big movie nerd and I'm really trying hard to see as many Oscar movies as possible, you know, and best picture nominees. But I, I'm a big fan of Letterboxd. It's a social media app that tracks your movie diaries. So making sure that I can see as many so I can make an informed opinion when it comes time to, you know, have our little Oscar poll and say, like, who do you think the actual best picture will be? Um, yeah. So I'm obsessed with that. Banshees of Insurance. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Those are excellent movies. Tar is fantastic too. So I, it's a three-way race for me right now. Oh my gosh! They, they, this is, I, I can't wait now to watch the Oscars. I'm I'm really excited. 
Um, what book are you currently reading? I'm. Uh, this is another thing that I'm obsessed with. Uh, Stephen Markley wrote this book called The Deluge. It's a new fiction piece that sort of takes. I'm a big horror fan, generally speaking, um, and I really love horror fiction. But this is sort of like a horror story, but the monster is climate change. It's very realistic fiction. Is set. It starts in around 2014, and right now about two-thirds of the way through the book, it's in 2040. So it looks at the effects of climate change on our political system, follows a variety of different characters, and what are the political implications of you know, these senators getting elected or this particular president enacting or not enacting a uh, particular policy and everything that goes around it. It is a phenomenal book. It's scary. It's exciting. It's interesting. I highly recommend it. The, the Deluge by Stephen Markley. All right. I'm putting it on my list. Um, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is uh, from the late great Senator Paul Wellstone here in Minnesota. It's, we all do better when we all do better. Um, I will say it, it's inspirational to me because you know, I would say it politically aligns with my belief that we we sh we owe things to the world. We owe things to our communities. But I think from an operations standpoint, it makes a difference too. Like we all do better when our systems are dialed in and when our recruiters are firing at all cylinders and our researchers are, everyone succeeds. And that's that's what I try to bring to the to my work life. It's what I try to bring to my personal life. Let's let's make sure that everyone has the tools they need to succeed. All right. What is the best purchase under $50 that you've made? Best purchase under $50. I have a standing mat. I, I love my standing desk and I have a mat <laughs> that, that, um, that keeps my, uh, that keeps my back less sore uh, if I stand all day. And I love my, I love my mat. <laughs> I very wasn't simple. expecting that. Very that dumb. was so good. <laughs> I love my mat. It's like, I love lamp. I love, I love my lamp. Mat. I love mat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, more serious one. What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned so far in your life? It's okay to be wrong. Um, yeah, just embracing mistakes. Um, and it's it's something that you have to relearn and relearn and relearn and be okay with it. Um, and sometimes I'm great at knowing that it's okay to make mistakes professionally, but I'm maybe not so good personally and vice versa. Other times I'm great at it personally and not uh, professionally. So, but relearning that all the time is is really, really crucial. And it comes up a lot. And try to teach my kids it's okay to be wrong just you know be okay with getting better mm, i needed to hear that um <laughs> lastly what do you want to be when you grow up if i could write one good album um i'm a music nerd and i would just there's there's a dream in my brain that has existed for a long while of like i could i, I could just make one good album or even maybe just one good song you know but now it's a retirement goal um, as opposed to a, a pre ever present goal. Or maybe when the kids are out of the house, then I can focus a little bit more time on that. But that would be amazing, right? To write a song or an album that moved people. I would love that. Um, now I got to hold you to it. That now, <laughs> now you said it to the whole Secret Ops That's audience. Exactly We're right. holding you to it. Nikki, you are truly a ray of sunshine. I'm so appreciative for you reaching out and connecting. Where can other people find you? If they are listening and they're so jazzed by what you're saying, where can they find you? Well, the best place is LinkedIn. I'm on there constantly. Uh, I know it's the most boring social media network, but it's also um, it, it's where I am every single day. You can always reach out to me. I am a uh, happy connection request acceptor, um, and I will chat you up uh, very heavily in that messaging app. Um, and there are other places too, but they're not as not nearly as uh, findable. So yeah, LinkedIn. 
we'll make sure to link that in the description. Again, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. We all appreciate it. And thank you to the wonderful Secret Ops audience. I adore you. Please follow us wherever you find your podcasts and check us out at secret-ops.com. We'll see you next time. Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that. Check out our monthly Secret Ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.